Hey, and welcome to the CCWC podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to be part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message. As we walk through this series, certainly this concept of resetting for the year isn't a solo act. It isn't just us individually going before God, but it's an opportunity for us to share what God has and is continuing to do. This week, as we jump into Colossians chapter 2, Paul is continuing this teaching and this understanding of what it means to reflect upon the gospel, what it means to not just sing about, but also live the life that reflects God, Jesus, the Son of God, as the cornerstone of all things, and what then do we do with it? I can tell you in the study this week, um, I had too many pages to bring this morning, And so there is so much good stuff. I was encouraged by what John just said. I encourage you, if you haven't done so already, to read it yourself. And if you don't have a Bible, or if you don't have access, maybe even to the internet where you live, so you don't have the ability to be able to even pull it up on the internet or on a Bible app, I encourage you to stop by our information center. We've got Bibles there. They are free. You can have one. If you want to give one out to somebody else, you can take it. But that is the best gift we can give to you, and we want you to have it if you don't already. One thing I will say about this, reading it uh, over and over again or reading it aloud, it allows God to speak to you in a deeper way. And so if you haven't done so, take the time to reset, take the time to read. The letter uh, that Paul's writing to the church in Colossae, which also has a universal audience, which includes us, is one that he wrote to a church while he sat in prison, still full of joy, still full of encouragement, but willing to share with others. I could tell you even in that midst, he probably didn't have a lot of time. He probably didn't think, you know what, I've got to, you know, I've got this one thing that I got to do first, or I've got so much going on, I can't really spend the, the effort or the, or the energy, or maybe I'm even discouraged or I won't do it. But instead, he allowed the Spirit to lead him to write this letter so that we might have it today. He was writing to a church that he didn't plant. In fact, this is one that he didn't really know the people there. He knew the leadership, and that was about it. And he recognized the struggles that they were walking through, struggles that weren't just present in that day, but that are present even here in this moment. So I'm going to read part of chapter 2, Paul's letter to the church in Colossae. If you want to read along, you can. It'll be on the screen, but I'm going to read from the NIV, starting in chapter 2, verse 6. So reset to listen. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus, excuse me, Christ Jesus as Lord, <clears throat> continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow or deceptive philosophies, which depend on human tradition and the elemental spiritual uh, forces of this world, rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith and the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. 
He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailed it to the cross, and having disarmed the power and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing triumphing over them by the cross. The letter continues, Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or what regard to a, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. There are a shadow, there are a shadow of the things that which to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility or in the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They have puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head from which the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and skews, grows as God causes it to grow. And since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of the world, why as, though you still, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to these rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules which have to do with things that are all dis- de- detested. Oh, sorry, that's a hyphenated word for me. Uh, to, pers- to perish with use are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed here, or excuse me, have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body. But they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. You know, this specific passage right here is probably not one that was really exciting for the church to hear. In fact, as Paul wrote these words, he was writing in what I would call love and kindness. Love because he loved them so much he was willing to tell them the truth and help to point out the error of their ways, and kindness because he wasn't willing to just sit back and say, okay, I hope that you figured this out on your own, but God has given me this truth and I want you to have it. He recognizes that they made a decision to follow Christ, and as a result of that decision, there is a desire and there is an anticipation on the part of God for us, for them to live differently. What does life through Christ actually look like? What does it mean to live as if God is the cornerstone, as if God is the one who is in all things, who is the root of all goodness, who is an ultimate authority over all things? How do we live differently as a result? As we look at this passage, there are many things that we can learn. And certainly, if you were to read this, you're going to find something new every single time you read it. As God reveals different things through the power of His Spirit, through the words of His, of his, of his love, through the, through the embrace of what Paul is expressing, not just to that church, but to us as well. And I want to look at a few specific things as, as we embrace the concept of what it means to, to live life through Christ. I'm going to take a few verses as we go and reread them just to kind, of, to kind of pull out some specific things of the text. In verse 6 and 7, it says, So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him. Just as you made this decision, just as you chose to follow Him, just as you had started this race, you should also live with the same desire that you had at the beginning. Rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. 
To reset this concept of understanding, the journey of life through Christ includes several things. And, 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 and this being, this, this desire, this reality starts with one thing that, that Paul made clear, and that is we must be rooted. We must be rooted, committing ourselves, our lives to him, submitting our will to him in those moments of, of decision. Man, is this, this thing that I'm going to do, this decision that I'm to make, is it, is it following God? Is it, is, it, is it in every way pouring out an understanding of who he is and reflecting upon the way that he's created me? Romans 12, 1 and 2 reads like this, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. To be rooted in God recognizes that he calls for us to, to in all aspects, in all ways, to be renewed by his goodness, renewed by his spirit, renewed by his word. To be rooted in him, uh, like, like maybe like a tree in the ground, is to pull all of, of, of our sustenance, all of our nutrients, all, everything that we need from the, the, the good water, the good soil, the good things in which we are planted. If we were to see growth, if we were to see fruit, it's to come from him and him alone, deeply rooted in his goodness. Not rooted in human tradition or the regulations that were set before them or the, or the heresy that's crept in that there must be something else and God. Okay, here's the cornerstone, but we also need this, this other thing to prop the cornerstone up or, or to help support the things that we need to do. Instead, Paul is saying, no, the cornerstone is enough. Be rooted in him. And being rooted in him doesn't just mean we start with the marriage, but instead, or the wedding, we continue with the marriage. Secondly, Paul says you need to be built up. Built up. It's a continual process. Anybody here arrived? Everybody got it all together? Thank you for not raising your hand. And I was just putting mine up to show you an example. Because I haven't arrived either. In fact, what Paul recognizes about humanity, about all people, is that it is a continual process of growing and becoming more like Christ, understanding Him, knowing Him, and this being built up is more than just saying, okay, you know what, I, I've said this prayer, or I've made this commitment, and now I'm going to follow God, but instead it's about this recognition that every single day, you know, Satan doesn't take a day off, just so you know, every single day we are under fire. Every single day as believers, Satan is taking note of, of the things that we do, of the things that we say, and this recognition that he does not want us to know God. He doesn't want us to love God. And he hates us because he hates God, and we're made in God's image. He wants to see our demise. All the more reason for us in this recognition of a spiritual battle that's taking place to be built up in him. Colossians 3.16 reads like this, Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, or biblical songs, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Learning in Him, in His teaching, in His life, in the way that He calls. And there's this continued repetition that's necessary, this continued return each day, each moment to come back to him for his goodness, for his love. 
Some of you might know this about me. I'm a systems guy, which means I like to put things in order. I like to have things uh, kind of in a methodical way, which is maybe why when I, when I look at the teachings and the life of John Wesley, I see him as a Methodist. I recognize the way that he did things. And I, and I take uh, kind of note of that, and I recognize that's how God wired me. And, I re- and I'm reminded that I, I need to do things on purpose. I need to do things with purpose. And the recognition of the things that we do, they're not just some kind of chore, simply as the way that it was being crept into the church in Colossae, where there's these things that we have to do to engage with God. Instead, we recognize that God, in every way, in all of us, has created us uniquely so that we might glorify Him in the way that He's wired us. And finally, the third one in this recognition of what it means to grow in this relationship with God, life through Christ We see a strengthening of faith. We're strengthened in faith, recognizing this, that it's not just about being built up or being rooted, because if we were to look at just those two things, that that in a lot of ways, that's just our, our work, the things that we can do. But being strengthened in faith recognizes the Holy Spirit's power in you and in me. In fact, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You will receive power from the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5.22 reads about this, this thing that comes from the power of God, and it goes like this, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The fruit of God's power, the fruit of, of God's presence through the Holy Spirit in our lives. It strengthens our faith, it strengthens our resolve, it strengthens who we are. And so maybe the first thought on this is a question. The first thought on this is when we look at your life, you look at the type of fruit that you are bringing forth, the type of fruit that is coming from you. Is it faith in, in, in recognition through peace and joy and hope and, and, and gentleness and self-control? Or is it something else? In other words, what are you being taught? What's being taught through your life? And maybe the second part of that is that faith grows through the truth, through the love. You might say, you know, I don't know everything. I don't have everything figured out. But what God says is, well, all I ask is that you would be open, an open vessel for me to be able to pour into. This might be the first time or the first expression of, 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 of encouragement for you to sit down and read the Scripture as we walk through these sermons together. I know that I, I've asked in the past, and maybe you weren't here for that, but, but certainly if, if the desire is there or if the encouragement is there for you to sit down and to read through Colossians throughout this week or throughout this month, I should say, and as you do so, there's this recognition that you might read something and think, man, I have no idea what that means. You might read something and think, you know what, I've never heard that before. I've read this before, but I've never heard that. I've never seen this insight. You know what's interesting to me? Every time I read, no matter what it is, no matter, no matter if I've read it a hundred times or one time. In fact, I'm, I'm reading through the Bible again this year. And as I've read through some of the accounts of the, of, the, uh, of the creation story and some of the accounts of the gospel, you know what I found out? I see something new. I see something new every time because the Spirit is continuing to, 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 to bring forth new insight, new understanding, new life, new truth. And it's simply an opportunity for me to put myself in a position for Him to be able to speak. Because oftentimes we've got the, the earphones in, we've got other things going on, we've got all these busy things we have to do, and we say, God, you know what? Speak to me, but we never really listen. You know, when you read, you're listening. Because that's God's word. That's God's truth. 
That's God's avenue for, for sharing his, his love and his embrace and his kindness and his hope. And in all of that, there's this overflowing, this overflowing of posturing through thanksgiving where, where God is giving it to us and we can't hold it in for ourselves, but we give it to others. We're rooted in him and, and therefore that, that rooting and that, and that overflow goes as an opportunity for others to experience it. We're built up in him. We're strengthened by faith. And in that, there's this outpouring of love for others. We give it away. We give away our love. We, we share our truth. We invite others to join us in the journey. I've said this phrase before, and perhaps you've heard it elsewhere. You, you can't outgive God. As soon as you pour out your basket, your loaves and, and your fish, he will somehow multiply it. In many cases, so heavy you can't even carry the basket around. And we've seen this in tangible ways. Perhaps you've seen it in, in spiritual ways. You've seen it in many different ways. I, I think about it with the, with the family dinners that we have. From time to time, I'll go back and I'll talk to the crew back there. And, and Julie Miles, she's the one that leads the, the, uh, the kitchen and that, that end of it. And sometimes I'll come back and, and I'll say, okay, how are we doing on meals? She'll say, we need a kind of a loaves and fishes type miracle here today. We've had a lot of people show up that didn't sign up or a lot of appetites that are in the room. And I think to myself, man, it's really great to be able to have this opportunity to see God move, but it'd be even greater if everybody would sign up beforehand, right? And let us know that they're going to be here. That'd be awesome. But God moves. He, he brings forth opportunity for us to, to be part of his blessing. And I think that's amazing about our God is he's all powerful, right? He can do anything. He doesn't need me. He doesn't need you. He can do all things. But because of his love, he chooses to include us in the blessing. And what he asks of us is just to have an open hand to say, God, here's what you've given me. Here's the time, the talent, and treasure you've placed in my stewardship, and I'm going to use it for you. And as I do, and as I give, you continue to give so that I can just continue to be your vessel. And it's not about the vessel, although we grow in that, but it's about the opportunity for God's name to be proclaimed. As the passage continues in verse 8, and I'm not going to reread the entire thing in case you were wondering, but I'm going to go to verse 8. It says, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. You know, this verse right here is extremely important because there's this recognition of the falsehood that's taking place in their midst, in their context. You remember where there was this attempt to, to try to pull you away from, from the things that were true. There's this attempt for, for you to be, to, to be diverted from the cornerstone from which you first came. And the basic principles of the world that are being spoken of here are falsehoods. They're, they're worldliness. They're, they're having these eyes of other things. They're, religiousness is a big one that he's talking about, which means following all the rules, but maybe not having any heart change or any heart desire. Or maybe even elementary, this, this concept of saying, okay, I'm, I'm just going to continue with milk. I don't need meat. I don't need to grow in my faith. I'm just going to continue with these small little subtle things. And Paul is fighting this Colossian, uh, this, this, this Colossian heresy by saying, look, salvation is the one thing that is needed. Not salvation combined with something else or Christ combined with secret knowledge or with the things that you do, but instead Christ alone. I don't know what this looks like today. Maybe it is legalism. Maybe it's patriotism. Maybe it's tradition. Maybe it's heritage. And I'm not saying those things are bad, but the recognition is this. Christ first. Christ only. 
and everything else, the things that we do, the giving that what I just talked about a moment ago, all that stuff is not an attempt in any way to try to, to, to make God love us anymore because we don't have the ability to make him love us more or less. But in all aspects is an outpouring of Christ first. And so when you give, when you share the gospel, when you spend your money, when you spend your time, when you interact with another person, all of those things are an outpouring of Christ first in your life. There's this whole concept of man-made versus God-ordained, and Paul is saying, look, don't get bogged down with the things that don't matter. Don't get bogged down with the things that you have to, quote, do, but instead just be in the presence of God, and he will lead the way. The next section of this passage highlights this reality of what it means to be complete in Christ. And as we reset and understand the supremacy of Christ, this completeness in Christ walks through these specific steps. And Paul says in each one of them, hey, you are complete in Christ. You are a, 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 a new creature. You are a new creation in him. You are not the same as you used to be. And as he does so, he kind of has these stair steps of reminders, recognizing the fact that it's not just this one thing, but instead he says, look, I want you to know it's far beyond our understanding, far beyond what we can imagine. The first thing he says in verse, uh, verse 11 goes like this, putting off the sinful nature. And what does that mean, this putting off of the sinful nature? It basically means this in short, God removes the old nature and gives a new nature. God removes what you used to be and brings forth something new. In the book of Joel, in the Old Testament, God uh, reveals this truth, this reality of what things used to be and the fact that the locusts ate everything up and symbolic of the way that, hey, the past was, was so bad and the decisions that were made had these terrible effects and certainly there are consequences for that. But God can make all things new. God can bring forth a new day, a new understanding so that the, the past, the mistakes, the way that you used to live, even what you may have done this past week, God says, look, I will refresh you. I will take away the old self and I will bring a new. The past matters. Yes, it, it has implications on the present and on the future. But in God's economy, in God's timing, he brings forth something new that we could never imagine. That's what hope really is, Right? Hope is recognizing the fact that God can move, God can change in a place where we never thought anything would happen. As the passage continues in 12 and 13, it talks about this resurrection from spiritual death. And this resurrection from spiritual death is an interesting one. It's, it's actually, it talks specifically about their understanding of what circumcision was and how it brought forth in a, in a physical fashion this covenant with God. And then into the New Testament, John the Baptist and, and Jesus, they go through this whole thing of, with baptism, right? And this recognition of what it means to go down into the water and come back out. And how that symbolically reveals what it means to, to die die with Christ and then be risen with Christ and how that new self actually comes in a symbolic manner. And that's an interesting notion as we think about baptism coming up at the end of the month and, and the fact that in some ways people might believe that, oh, through baptism I become a Christian. No, that, that is an outward sign of an inward work. It's a blessing by a means of grace. But in a lot of ways it reveals who God is. And the confusion there in some ways can be a difficult thing for people to, to, to respond to or to understand. But the notion of this being a means of salvation, it flies in the face of what it means to rely upon the cornerstone, this relationship with Christ. Verse 13 also talks about forgiveness. 
And forgiveness in and of itself is, is, a, is a difficult thing for us to recognize in this society. In fact, God's decree pardon is what forgiveness is in this, in this place. Think about yourself. Think about your life. Think about yourself sitting in a cell in prison awaiting an execution. You are on death row. There's nothing you can do about it. The, 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 uh, all of the, the things that you could, you could file have been filed and all of the, the rejections have come. You're not going to get out of this. The crime that you have committed, the, 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 the penalty is death and you're sitting there in the cell and all of a sudden someone comes along and says, you know what, not because of what you can do or because of what you could do or what you can pay or the way that you can make up for this, but I want you to know you're forgiven. You can come out of the cell. You can live differently. And spiritually, that is what God has done for you. He has seen us in our cell. He has seen us with a death sentence, and he has said, no, I will not allow you to rest there. But here's the deal. Many, and maybe even in this room, have the ability, we all have the ability to say, no, I'd rather stay in the cell. I'd, I'd rather stay here. You know, I hear the last meal is something to really be excited about. I'm just going to stay here in this cell and I'll await what's coming to me. I don't know that I want to do this. And the sad part about that is that the old self remains and the penalty is not going to be pardoned. It's not going to be, oh, well, at the end, well, God's going to say, well, I, I just, I changed my mind. I'm a good God. I'll let everybody uh, experience heaven, experience my grace. No, we've got to respond to it. You've got to answer. You've got to step forward. You've got to open the door. Verse 14 talks about deliverance from legal, legalistic requirements. Remember, the penalty of sin is death, and any activity of personal action will not be enough. And the legalism that took place in the Old Testament, as we would define it now on this end, was simply the fact that they were, they were responding in obedience. God called them to do things. And that bled over into the church to some extent, the early church specifically, and it still exists even today. It still exists even today as we think about the things that we need to do to make God happy with us or to, to, to get him to, on our good side, so to speak. Well, if I show up to church at least twice a month or three times a month, he'll be so excited that I'm there. If I read my Bible five times this week or, or you know, the, the pastor, he told us to, to pray for the PRC. I'm going to pray for the PRC three times this week and, and God will be so happy with me. Let me just tell you, all those things are great, but it's, it's not for us to in any way have some kind of legal binding contract with God that we're we're going to, quote, get in or get on his good side. Once again, those are an outpouring of what God has done and the, and the faith that he has given us. And then finally, the last one there is deliverance from evil spirit beings. Before we were slaves to our sin, they were slaves to their sin, and, and now we are free to live. And whether you know this or not, every person is a slave or a servant in some way of something. Every person is submitted to something that they deem to be their, quote, God. But for each one, God has given us the free will, the gift, the ability to be able to choose who we will serve, what master we will serve. And God, the master of all, he recognizes this opportunity for all of us. He affords this opportunity for all of us. And as we recognize that, we don't just serve at his feet, but we get to be part of his family. We get to be his children who serve along with him, who are accepted into his life, who are adopted into his kingdom. 
And as we respond to that, as we see that, we recognize all these other things out there that are attempting to try to grab at our attention, try to grab at our, at, at our, at our will. And then we recognize that God is there right at the center saying, no, I am the one true way. Finally, the third point there as we round out this portion of, of, of this part of the text in verse 15 there's this recognition that not only did God cancel out the accusations of the, the law against the Christians, but he also conquered and disarmed the evil angel authorities. He didn't just say, okay, I'm going to bring you out of this prison, but he also gave us the power through his Holy Spirit to have the ability to withstand the attacks, to have the ability through the presence of God to withstand the things that are going to come our way. God has, you know, this God empowered you stuff is this opportunity for him to set us up for victory. Perhaps you, you've, you've ran a race before and you recognize, okay, I'm going to run this race. I'm going to get everything together. I'm going I'm to prepare beforehand. I'm going to get in the race. And you get into the race and you begin to look around. You think, you know what? I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't wear running shoes. I didn't drink any water. I didn't do anything. I'm not prepared to win this. And, you know, shortly after you begin, you might realize, hey, you know what? I'm, I'm not going to do very well. Well, God has fitted you with the, the sandals. If you guys have maybe heard this passage before, he's fitted you with the shield, with the belt, with the helmet. He's fitted you with the breastplate. He's fitted you with the armor of God. Not because he wants you to look good or because of some cool photo shoot that he wants to put on social media. He did that because he wants you to succeed. He wants you to experience victory. He wants you to experience victory in him. And God's love and his embrace goes far beyond just simply giving forgiveness and freedom. It also goes with the empowerment that you live a life that's not just about sorrow or discouragement, but a life full of joy and hope, even in the midst of the consequences or the circumstances that we have. So to reset, the third point reads like this, life through Christ affords everything we need for right living. Paul also talks briefly about this thorn in his flesh, this thing, this nagging thing that continues to bother him. And whether that's a physical thorn in the flesh or whether that's something that's, that's internal, whatever it might be, one of the things that I note about the thorn in the flesh as he writes about it is when he writes about this thorn in the flesh, he does this thing where he gives that thorn, he gives that affliction power. You know, and sometimes in life, we have specific things that are going on in our life, whether it's something at work or something at home, maybe it's something internal. We're like, man, this one thing, God, would you just take this away? Would you get rid of this thing? And we fester on it. We think about it all the time. And it, and it just, and every single thought we have is just totally enveloped in this one thorn in our flesh. You know what I note about that? We're the one given the thorn the power at that point. We're the ones saying, okay, Thorn, you get, to, you get to indwell every part of me. You get to indwell all of my thoughts, everything that I am. God, take this away. Instead of recognizing that God's already given the power, God's already embraced us with his, with his presence and with his truth. Now, we can say, God, take this away, but not without saying, but, but help me to learn to grow to know you greater every time I'm reminded by this. In fact, that's part of what fasting is. When we fast, part of what the, the reminder of that hunger is, is an opportunity for us to be reminded to call out to God for the, the, the way that he needs to nourish us and he can nourish us even in, in the midst of us not being able to, to eat physically. And so the same thing is true when the temptation comes or when the thorn continues to aggravate. It's an opportunity to say, God, I need your truth. I need your presence. I need your power.
There's plenty more here to, to digest, plenty more here to, to look at, but I want to I center in on what the bottom line is for what Paul's attempting to try to communicate here. He sees a people, and perhaps you see this in our society today, he sees a people who are so close. He sees a people who are kind and nice. He sees a people who, who, are, who are, are pretty committed. He sees a people who, who want to do it, but for whatever reason, maybe it's because of some of the religious leaders of the day or the things they've been taught in the past, they, for whatever reason, have been deceived by what's around them. As we look at this reality of the bottom line, it's, it's all summed up in verse 19. It says this, they have lost connection with the head, from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and snews, grows as God causes it to grow. They have lost connection with the head. And the bottom line is this, the central error of heresy is a defective view of Christ. He's not the cornerstone in their midst. He's not the, the, the giver of all. He's not the one who brings freedom. In fact, they believe he's less than deity. They believe he's just another way, another thing to kind of add to the plate. The fundamental problem with this false teaching is that they were not connected to the head, which is Christ. I've seen it several times as one who is a bystander and one who is the initiator, but there is literally something that happens when you cut the head off of a chicken. It runs around crazy. It runs around with, with no, with no uh, understanding of what's happening. It runs around just in, in, in crazy manner with, without any direction, without any leading. You know what else that happens eventually? Anybody know this? What happens at the end? Falls over dead, Right? Without connection to the head, there's this recognition that there is no direction. There is no guidance. There is, there is no force that says, okay, this is right. This is wrong. This, this is the implementation. This is the Holy Spirit's presence. This is the Holy Spirit speaking. And the ending of all of it, you might recognize this, is always, in every case, death. Ultimately, they have the primary focus. They have the source of strength. They have the hope. They have the comfort. They have the source of wisdom. They have spiritual knowledge. They have growth. They have direction. But without the head, without foundation of the cornerstone, without knowledge and following of the one who brings forth freedom and victory, they're nothing but a chicken with his head cut off. And I think the response is easy. What? What does this mean to us? What does this mean to you? Are you connected to the head? What is your focus? Have you lost your primary focus of who God is? And sometimes you can be so close, but without missing the mark, when missing the mark are so far away. I want to finish with this, this just this little story. I shared last week that I was at a conference the previous week, a couple of weeks ago, I was at a conference and my family got to come with me. It was a Wesleyan Pastors Conference and I'll just do a quick public service announcement. If you're gonna go to the Orlando airport and, and, and get any flight anywhere, 
even if you're just going to go there and, and eat or go to the gift shop and spend $1,000 on a, on a uh, spoon or whatever it is, make sure you go six hours early, okay? Well, we went to the, to the airport for our flight back. I had this wonderful time at the conference. We're so blessed by the speakers and by the, the interaction of the network of the people, the other pastors, as they talked about their ministries and where things were going and all the things that God is doing. We're so excited. And as we're getting ready to return, we're, we got up really, really early to come uh, back to, to Ohio, just encouraged by what God had done and the way that he was moving. And it, it was interesting to note that we found a way to hit every issue you could find on the way back. Right? We, uh, we got there and we, we had to wait in a big line just to check our bags in, which at three in, uh, two, what, 3.45 in the morning, we didn't expect that, but we were there and we had to go through this line. Eventually, we were able to get through that and somebody came and, and called out just our flight and we got to go ahead and we went to, to where, the, uh, where the, the TSA check was and it was literally a quarter mile walk around this big thing and then we got to go through the turnstiles and at the end, there was no roller coaster. Like That wasn't the fun part. You got to take your shoes off and, and they would look at you funny. And, and so we put all our stuff through and, and, and we randomly got chosen to, to have our bags checked because my kids looked really like they were uh, up to no good, I guess. And I had to go through the, the little thing where you stand there and everybody looks at you and is like, oh, I wonder what he's done. And, and, and we got through that and we had to get on the tram. We had to wait a tram and we got to our final place. And we, 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 we on the way through, we saw people. And I saw a guy that I saw on the flight on the way there. And I thought, oh, that, that guy was on our flight. And so we're walking back and forth. My wife says to them, hey, when we get, when you guys get there, if you get there first, tell them to wait, we're coming. As if that was going to do anything, right? And there was a lady behind us, and she was quite verbal and uh, even said things where I had to have my kids plug their ears. And, and she was quite verbal about her flight and how long it was taking. And she got to a certain point and said, hey, if anybody would let us, we have an early flight, would, would, would you let us and this family here go ahead? And there was all these things that took place that, that opened the door for us to get there, the way the rental car was returned and all this stuff. And we finally get there, and the flight is, is held for us. They waited an extra 10 minutes so that we could get there and we got on the flight and we sat down. I was like so aggravated. I was like, man, I, I have a ritual before I fly because I, I have a stomach thing, right? And so I, I, I was like, man, I, I didn't get to do any of the stuff I needed to do. And, and we finally get going and we get there and we get in the car and uh, I was just like, man, I'm so glad to be home back to Columbus. And we, we drive home and yesterday or last Sunday we're in the car and uh, I didn't mention anything about that from the platform. I thought about it. No, I'm not going to say anything because I don't want it to dampen our trip or even to kind of bring those things back up. And we're in the car on the way home and Sawyer said to me, Dad, why didn't you talk about our trip? And I said, what do you mean, buddy? I, I talked a little bit about it. He said, but yeah, why didn't you talk about our trip back? And I said, well, I didn't want to bring up anything negative. He said, no, 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 no. He said, Dad, why didn't you bring up how God worked out all these little things? so that we could make it. And it wasn't about making the flight, but it was, it was so much about the fact that he recognized all the little ways that God opens the door, all the little ways that God worked out these things through other people, through things outside of our circumstances, all the ways that God works. And sometimes we get bogged down with the things that are going on around us and God is saying, just a small change of perspective, let me just reveal to you my action, my goodness, my love. Don't get bogged down with these other things that are going on, but instead recognize I am present, I am working, even when you can't see it, even when you can't feel it, even when you don't know it, he's working. And can I tell you, God is working in your life right now. 
God is moving in your life right now. And this morning, I, I recognize and I know that as we walk in here in our weakness, there's different things that are going on, different things on our mind. But can I tell you that God loves you? Can I tell you that God wants to move in your life? Can I tell you that as we talk about what it means to step out and be his hands and feet, that it's not always easy? But he is there in freedom and in victory. What does it mean to live life through Christ? It means to live fully engaged with him. Can I say too, like I needed that reminder when he said that because I was frustrated about the trip back. And when he said it, I thought, man, that childlike faith thing, I'm glad that's contagious. Here's what I want to ask you to do as we close in prayer. You don't have to stand. You can stand if you want to, or you can sit. I just want to ask you now just to be receptive to God's goodness. However you came in today, however you received this passage today, whatever it looks like in your context, I know that students are starting back up this week with school uh, at, at the college. I know that, that uh, you know, we, we've got a lot of things going on within the context of our culture and our community and here in our church. But just so that, that all those other things, just put them aside so that God can speak. Just, just if you want to, you can hold out your hands even physically to say, God, I'm receptive to your goodness. We don't expect to have instant maturity, but what God wants us to have, what he wants us to do is to take at least one spiritual step forward. And so whatever that might be for you today, whatever the Spirit's laid on your heart, be receptive. Thank you again for spending time with us today. Thank you especially to those of you who give to CCWC. It is through your faithfulness that makes this ministry possible. Also, if you have any questions about today's teaching or if you want to learn more about CCWC, feel free to contact our office, check the web, or follow us on our social media platforms. If you enjoyed today's podcast, we do encourage you to take a moment to subscribe and share it with friends. Let this be a blessing to someone else that you love in your life. You're always welcome to join us on Sunday morning for worship, or until then, we'll catch you on the next one. God bless. God bless.